Welcome back to another edition of Boilers Extra. I'm Nathan Baird from the Durland Courier, along with my faithful colleague, Mike Carmen, here to talk a little bit about, um, well, we don't really know yet. It's still the, the, <laughs> the hashtag Bromwatch continues. It, it, uh, we don't know how long it's going to stretch on. I know that that's the, the topic of conversation among the, the Purdue fan base who are kind of on edge waiting for news one way or the other on this. I'm hearing a lot of people saying they like what they're hearing, but people who are also same people saying until Louisville hires somebody else, they're not going to be completely satisfied here. I guess just what's your take on, on where things sit as uh, the this regular season is now over and we're progressing into this sort of purgatory until the bowl game starts. I do have some breaking news. Though. Okay. Uh, Purdue's going to play UConn in football starting in 2021 and 2020. 25. Oh, well, that should entice him to stay. <laughs> I can say that because by the time this thing gets published, it'll already be out. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> but that's that's my breaking news at the start of the podcast. Look at that. <laughs> well, that's why we have that's why people subscribe. By the way, if you don't subscribe, please do because that's how you can get these as immediately as they come out. And if anything does happen in terms of Jeff Brom, that's very newsworthy this week, we'll probably do an emergency version of this and it'll it'll we can you, the fastest way to get it is subscribe on itunes subscribe on stitcher wherever you can find us well i mean Go that's ahead. first to kind of you know what do we know about the situ- jeff Brom's situation we do know or i know that he's been out recruiting him and his staff have been out recruiting starting uh sunday and monday he was in texas uh last night with special teams coach uh mark T- tomardall seeing uh, uh tight end commitment you know garrett miller uh, the, the the coaching staff is out and about, you know, around the country visiting 2019 commitments along with gathering information on future uh, future you know prospects. They, they according to Twitter, there were a couple offers sent out to 2021 guys uh, last year. Now none of this is official, and uh, you can offer as many people as you like, type of thing. But I guess to frame it, it it appears looking at it from the outside that uh, there's, you know, business as usual is going on within the program. Um, So, but that doesn't mean that there's not uh, business going on behind the scenes. And, you know, it's it's pretty confident to to say that, you know, Jeff Brom, Louisville, his agent, you know, they've been talking for a couple weeks now about how this is, you know, if, if Jeff is interested, number one, and what what is it going to take to get Jeff Brom uh, to Louisville? And is there an offer there that can get him to Louisville? Or will they try to lowball him, so to speak, and hope he provides a hometown discount because he would be returning to his alma mater? So, I, you know, I think a lot of things are going on behind the scenes that just have not leaked out yet. Um and, I, you know, the other the other part of it is, too, I think Purdue is prepared to come to the table and say, okay, here's here's what we're willing to do for you uh, and your program. And, you know, and as we've said and written, you know, if, if Brom leaves, there's serious collateral damage to this program that sets it back at least five years, maybe longer. And I think Purdue's administration is well aware of that and understands this is kind of a crossroads moment for the program if you let him leave uh, without making a serious offer to him or showing, once again, how serious you are about football. And I think Purdue has done 
a lot of things that demonstrate the commitment they're they're making to football. Um, and this is not to go back to the dark ages of Purdue football when they were they were kind of cheap and they would show commitment, but it's not. It was not like, oh no, we'll pull that back type of thing. Right. Uh, I mean, this is what they've done, and since they made the the change a couple years ago, bringing in Jeff, building the football performance complex, and everything else that goes along with it. This is this administration is serious about maintaining uh, what's happened the first two years, and from a record standpoint, it's just thirteen and twelve. But there's a different vibe around this program. There's a different vibe around the fan base. And, and trust me when I when I when I say this, they are truly serious about doing it. Everybody's got a line that they're going to go up to, and Purdue has that line too. Louisville has the same line, but I think everything that Purdue has done over the last two years shows a a, a strong strong commitment to making this football program not only relevant in the Big Ten West, but relevant in the Big Ten, and you know maybe in the national picture down the road a little bit. When you talk about the, the the collateral damage of this, it's not just what Jeff Brom is and what Jeff Brom can do. It's everything else that goes with him, right? And it, how yeah. much when you talk about the collateral damage, how much are you talking about just the other players that are supposed to be here next year that would not be here immediately, and and what that means, the ripple effect well, from you, that. You start with the current roster. You would have transfers out. And it, no one be, would be surprised if Rondo Moore was one of those guys that left. I mean, you, that's that's there. That's that would likely happen, uh, and you would lose other players off the current roster, uh, mostly younger guys, freshmen that were recruited last year. Not, again, what the number would be, I have no idea. But then you stretch that into the 2019 class, 23 or 24 guys that are already committed uh, and remain committed that you're going to lose a handful, maybe more, of those guys, and you're going to lose marquee guys, uh, guys that you're counting on to come in and play next year. Uh, and then you don't get David Bell, uh, which I think Purdue has a really good shot to get him uh, based on the, the tea leaves that are <laughs> out there. You know, I, I, Then you don't get that guy. So you're losing a lot of your uh, production on offense. Um you're probably not restocking your roster with some grad transfers that you need, especially on the uh, on the offensive line. Um, it just it, but it just sets back the program. And you can hire a dynamic coach. You can go trying to find Jeff Brom 2.0 if you're Mike Bobinski in the in the in the university, but it's not going to be the same. He's not going to recruit the same areas. He's not going to have the same impact. Will he make Indiana an emphasis in his recruiting? Yes. But it's just, it's not the same. You can't duplicate. I don't believe you can duplicate what Jeff Brom has done here. This was a, you know, just one of those things, the perfect storm that lined up for Brom and Purdue for him to have that kind of impact. And the other part of it is you're, you're, you're going to lose the bulk of your staff because they're going to go with him. Right. Um, and you're going to, in a way, depress your fan base. And you're not going to have that buzz and momentum. No matter who they would bring in, to win the press conference and all that. And this guy's going to be given probably more resources than Jeff was just to prove that they're they're serious. But you know, I think that's we're probably getting ahead of have our ahead of ourselves well, a little yeah, bit, yes, but yes. Um, but that's the collateral damage of of the program. And then the uh, to me the other piece of it is it's like 
even though Jeff Brown would leave and go to Louisville, it's his hometown, everybody sees that connection, it's still, you get back into this, oh, it's just Purdue mode. And I think they've climbed out of that hole a little bit, even though a lot of national media refuse to accept the fact that Purdue is serious about football and Purdue can be a, a destination place uh, based on a lot of the factors we've talked about over several weeks uh, of doing this. Um, but you get that whole, well, well, it's just Purdue type of thing. And that's, a, that's right. an image thing. That's something you have to fight. Um, but if you keep Jeff, you know, the, the plus side too, if, he, if, if Jeff stays, you're in a situation where he turned down his, his hometown school to, to stay at Purdue. And I think that that gives the program and the university a big lift. So we're, it's only Tuesday morning, late morning, that we're recording this. I remember when the initial Jeff Brom hire happened, it dragged out a little bit longer than people thought, but it was because they were playing, you know, Western Kentucky was playing in the Conference USA Championship game, and he was adamant about doing things in the right way. I've talked a lot about professional courtesies through this whole thing, and I thought that Purdue needed to extend a certain amount of professional courtesy to Jeff Brom to kind of allow him to explore what is a very um, romantic or potentially nostalgic pull here at Louisville. At the same time, how long can they afford to let this hang out there? I, I, you know, I think Purdue, just based on what I've heard and how this has all played out, I think they've given him uh, the space to breathe and think and – kind of decide what you know what's best for him and his family at this point but at some point there has to be some sort of hard deadline to say we need to know by this date because you know if you are going to go to Louisville then Purdue's got to find a coach uh, and that's that's the reality of the situation and you know, Louisville's also in the same position they need an answer from Jeff Brom they've given him they've given him the space to breathe and think about this and they they're going to need to know a deadline. Uh, whether the Louisville deadline and the Purdue deadline line up together right. probably doesn't. You know, the longer this goes, you you start, you know, you bring out the conspiracy theories, which we all love to, to uh, talk about. Sure. <laughs> Is that, you know, well, Louisville's trying to save $1.1 million on the, on the buyout, which... Which is December 5th? It's December 5th. So you're talking about another eight days beyond today. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't imagine this lasts another eight days. No, I, I think, and there's, uh, to me, another factor, and there's some that disagree with me on this, th- this plays a role into what bowl Purdue goes to, in my opinion, because as the, the state of the program is at this moment with Jeff Brom and Rondell Moore and Purdue um, and the visibility that, it, that it's gotten mm-hmm. over the years, the win over Ohio State and the 3-0 mark against ranked teams – Purdue, despite its six and six record, is a, an attractive uh, bowl team for for all these bowls. So, if I'm if I'm a bowl, I don't know what bowl I'd be, but if I was a bowl, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a great podcast topic. <laughs> if I was a bowl, it's then, too bad we don't still have the Poulan Weed Eater Bowl because yeah. I think that would be you're your Poulan Weed Eater Bowl to me. <laughs> so, maybe I should rephrase it. If I was the chairman of a bowl. <laughs> Uh, and Purdue was on my radar. This is a question I want to know before I jump yeah. into the deep end with Purdue because if I'm going to get an interim coach at my bowl game, I'm not that interested. Or if there's going to be rumors swirling around that 
you know, half the roster is going to transfer type of thing and you're going to lose, you know, potentially Rondell Moore and some playmakers, then I don't know if I want Purdue in in my bowl game. I just I just don't. Well, they're, I mean, just, they're, they're less attractive some, at that point. Right, right. They'll land somewhere because they have to. But if you're, you're looking, taking away some of those tiebreakers that they would win against right. a Minnesota or yeah. whoever. I mean, if I'm if I'm the guy in, in charge of the Pinstripe Bowl in New York, yeah, Purdue's attractive because of the coach and the players that he has and the season they've had. I mean, you can't take away the season that they've had, but it does dampen uh, maybe the enthusiasm going into that uh, going into that game. So I, I think this all needs to get resolved this week by the time. We get to bowl selection on Sunday. That's just one piece of this whole thing. Um, so that, that to me, that's that's a big factor that that is going that's going to play into this. Well, then, but then it goes into another way that it's going to hurt Purdue because if it gets resolved this week and it gets resolved by Jeff Brown going to Louisville, Purdue's not going to have a new head coach by Sunday. So now all these bowls that are picking, not only do they not not only do they know you don't have Jeff Brom anymore you may not have Rondell Moore and some other talented players anymore but you they also have no idea who your new head coach is going to be right they don't I, you know I think you know just speculating here if Jeff would go to Louisville then uh, I you're going to have um I, you know I think the roster stays intact through the bowl game but the discussion yeah. the 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 narrative going up to the bowl game isn't truly about the bowl game. It's about Correct. what's going to happen. Right. You know, and then you're going to have to have, you know, then you're looking for a head coach and do you get that straightened out before the bowl game? And then who's going to coach your bowl game and how many coaches are staying to coach the bowl game. And you just, you have so many questions that don't really pertain to the bowl game that again, if I'm the, if I'm the bowl chairman, I don't want those. I don't want those around my bowl. I just, I don't. And, you know, Purdue, Purdue, as we said, is a very attractive uh, six and six team. That you know, I think uh, you know a couple bowls really, 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 really want, but I also think they're leery of of what may happen here. What this is something that's also been kind of bugging me in terms of professional courtesies this week. I'm coming and intrigued to get your opinion because you're, you have a more tight in perspective on this, but we we're talking before about the professional courtesies that, that schools extend to the coaches and all that stuff. But I also kind of thought if I was Jeff Brom, I would have been a little bit irked at the way things went down from the Louisville side of things, because you knew that that was going to put your name front and center and, and maybe he truly does believe that that actually helps Purdue if he stays here, that his name gets mentioned there, his name is out there, whatever. But when the Louisville AD is asked about Jeff Brom, he keeps answering very directly. And supposedly, as of Saturday, they had not asked permission to talk to Jeff Brom. I don't know if that's changed since then. But just what's kind of your take on them being so open about pursuing a specific guy who is still under contract and who they have not supposedly asked permission to talk to? Well, first of all, the asking of permission to talk to is a courtesy. But it doesn't have to. Right. It does, it's not anything that's written in. Well, I, I would say that there are some contracts out there that do, that do include that if you are contacted by uh, another school or your representative is contacted by another school regarding a coaching opening that you are required to notify your, your supervisor, which would be the AD in that case. I, I think there are some clauses yeah. in, in contracts out there like that, but based on uh, many hours of reading Jeff Brom's contract, I don't see that. I don't see that in there. And I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure that even Mike Bobinski 
did that with Western Kentucky. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't know. I don't know. I've heard that. You know, I've heard that he didn't. Um, it's not a deal breaker by any means. He also it, wasn't publicly talking about any of the specific <laughs> right. people that. I think in this case, it's hard not to talk about it because that's who your fan base wants. That's everybody's been talking about him. And I think a little bit too is maybe the inexperience of the the Louisville AD, who's yeah. who's who doesn't come from this background. He's this is his, I believe his first time being an AD, uh, and he's conducting in a high profile search. And part of it may just be feeding the fan base Jeff Brom's name to keep them glued in and saying, "Hey, we're doing everything we can to to type of to, you know to get him type of thing." We know that. We know that he's the number one on everybody's wish list. So I think there's a combination of things there. I don't. I think in this case, if he was talking about another candidate, I probably would be more uh, appalled or <laughs> surprised, I guess. Yeah. But since it's Jeff Brom. It raised more of an eyebrow. Um, right. I, I don't know if it's that big of a deal unless – he knows at you know the time he's doing this interview he knows he he obviously knows more than what he's giving out but he may just be um he, he may be just comfortable with the fact saying his name knowing a he may not get him or or b you know we're we're close to getting him type of, type of yeah. thing so you know i chalk it up to all those kind of those three things of what i don't obviously mike bobinski being in the same position would not be doing that he would not be talking yeah. about specific candidates. You like hardly that. ever see it ever in these circumstances you know. where somebody specifically, they'll usually say, well, we're not going to talk about any specific candidates, etc." cetera. Um, a lot of times they don't even ever publicly acknowledge that they're, sometimes even on back channels, won't acknowledge that they've actually interviewed somebody because uh, you don't want necessarily somebody else interfering with the guy that you're trying to negotiate with. I just, for a place like Louisville that, let's be honest, has had some issues in recent years <laughs> in terms of professionalism right. throughout their athletic department, this isn't another good sign for me, but uh, but that may not be a... Well, you try to flip it. Okay, if there was a... If Purdue was hiring a coach and there was a... Nat, there was a home, if Drew Brees was... For example, one oh, to come get back. that rumor started. <laughs> yeah, if he wanted to He's come close back. close to retirement age. Yeah, if he wanted to come back and be the coach, it, let's say he was coaching somewhere and he wanted to come back and be the coach, then Mike Wobinski would be asked, is Drew Brees on your radar? And he probably would say, I'm not going to talk about specific candidates. Or is that clearly one that everybody knows you're going to talk to and you you just kind of acknowledge it and then you move on? So, you know, I don't know. Just – I'm not going to claim to know Mike Bobinski how he would handle that situation. You can only go by what has happened in the past, and you know I think there's probably 99.9 percent of ads that wouldn't even uh, mention it. And I and I think what happened with Louisville is I think uh, part of his inexperience in this in this position. That was my favorite 2016 rumor, by the way. Actually, it was after Morgan Burkett <laughs> announced his retirement, there was going to be some. Something where Drew Brees was going to retire and come back and be the AD, or it was somebody who was going to take the job, but it was only going to be for a couple of years because Drew Brees was going to come back and take a you know twenty five million dollar pay cut to come back and be the <laughs> AD at Purdue. Um, yeah, that, you, you guys can uh, keep uh, holding your breath on that one. I think. Um, well, okay, so that's that. That will not probably be resolved. Maybe it will by the time you guys listen to this. Um, could drag on to later this week. One thing we do know is happening tonight is uh, Big Ten is announcing awards today and, and tomorrow. This is Tuesday. We're recording this Wednesday. So come to jconline.com for, um, to find out 
what's going on with all that. But obviously the one guy that really jumps to the forefront, we've already mentioned on this podcast, but you had said before the season, um, kind of put yourself on a limb, said Rondell Moore is going to be the offensive player of the year for Purdue. I think there's a pretty uh, safe chance that that's going to happen. Um, I think I took Elijah Sendelar, and there is a bowl game left, so maybe he'll throw for like 2,000 yards, and it'll just be something that blows everybody away. But um, barring that happening, um, considering Elijah Sendelar probably will not take a snap in the bowl game, um, I think Ronda Moore's probably got that wrapped up. But what do you see in terms of hardware for him tonight and um, and kind of wrapping up this really special season that he had? Well, he should win Big Ten Freshman of the Year, I don't think. You know, that that shouldn't be much of an issue. Um uh, even though the quarterback from Nebraska had a good year. But, you know, Rondell's only the second, um, third player in Big Ten history to have 100 receptions in a single season. Uh, and the top two now are Purdue guys. Chris Daniels back in 1999 had 121, and Rondell's got 103 uh, right now. So he would need 19 to surpass that record in the bowl game. If everything Strange stays intact, if everything stays intact and they get a uh, indoor game or a good yeah. weather game, yeah. Uh, why not, why wouldn't you target him 25 times? <laughs> well, why in <laughs> in the long run, that's really where the prediction you made about him being the offensive player of the year was really predicated on the fact that they were going to just from day one, he was going to be the central piece of this offense. And that's what really came to fruition. Whatever award you want to give beyond that, whatever. But from day one, the Brahms said, that's our guy. And really, from from opening night, he's been the guy. Some teams have have taken him away to some extent, or bottled him up a little bit, contained him. But from from he's clearly been whether they're handing it off, whether they're throwing it to him, whether he's returning kicks, he's been the central figure on that offense from from opening night. He has, um, and I, you know, as, as the season plays out, you know, I don't think you when when you go back and visit the offensive MVP discussion, you know, I think David Blau probably is going to get a lot of support internally uh for, yeah. for that as well um i don't i don't at this point i don't know if it's a slam dunk that rondell wins that you know because he's a freshman and uh right. so so david might get that award well but, but well, that, also it, had a heck of a season statistically right. yeah so or they may share it in in the spirit of giving out high school awards right <laughs> right but anyway rondell should win freshman of the year i uh, should be all big 10 first team uh, type of thing. Beyond that, um, when you look elsewhere offensively, David Blau's not going to be the first team quarterback. Uh, that'll be that'll be Haskins from uh, um, from Ohio State. Uh, yeah. But the the curious thing does David get enough support to maybe be a second team uh, selection? I think yeah, that's probably between him and Trace McSorley from Penn State. Um, and if McSorley gets it, it's probably more of a career thing. Because I think he ended up with 30 wins um, with Penn State during his career, but you know David's David, you know David's had a good career as well. He's had a fine career, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think he's had a better season overall. Uh, so that, to me, that's a little bit of a of a question and something to watch there. You know, elsewhere offensively, uh, you know, does Bryson Hopkins Hopkins get a sniff in the in the tight end selections? Because when you get past Iowa's two good tight ends, there's really not a whole lot. You know, there, there's a little bit of a drop off. But I thought Hopkins had a had a good year. You know, I always wish they throw to the tight ends more because sure. I'm prejudiced and I like tight ends because you were a tight end. Uh, yeah, I still am. <laughs> I still am a tight end. Remember, it's people will tell you it's a condition, not a position. Ah, I got you. But it is a position. 
not a condition. <laughs> I don't know if I like where this podcast is veered off all of a sudden. That's why you got to listen all the way through. Talk about you, collateral you, damage. You get, you get a lot of these nuggets deeper into the podcast. Uh, defensively, I don't see any first-team guys, uh, but, uh, but guys that probably should get some recognition, whether it be um, – third team if they have third team i can't even remember what they have uh but arnold mentioned guys you you know marcus bailey might get uh you know i think he might get a second team selection if there's a third team he might end up on there you know i, I don't think the rest of the conference really appreciates what jacob thieneman meant to that defense yeah. um so he probably won't have conference-wide support from from media and you know and coaches uh, in that regard, so I look for him to get an honorable mention guy uh, bid, and then uh, probably Lorenzo Neal probably do, earned at least an honorable mention uh, selection, and, and and Joe Shopper should be somewhere. Um, I can't remember if they actually have a punter of the year or whatever names they put with the right. the punter of the year type thing, um, but I think there is, and you're the ones that are named for somebody, right? Right. I think there is one actually, but I, I think he's a strong candidate for that. I thought he had a really solid year, yeah. Um, flipping field position several times, and um, you have to get past the the average and look at other things as far as punts inside the twenty, right? Um, fair which, catches and which coaches I think do. Coaches sometimes right. recognize those things more than the fans or media even yeah, because they just, they, they study these games in a different way yeah, more in depth. And you try as a voter, you you do try to go a little bit more deeper into these things. Um, But those are the guys probably right now. And, you know, does Rondell end up somewhere in the specialist category? Um, You know, as we talked, you know, before we started, you know, from a return standpoint, didn't have a, um, I mean, a spectacular year. Uh, he had some nice returns that set up good field position, and obviously his all-purpose record, yardage record that he set uh, in the first game of the year, plays a role in that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know if he, if he did enough from a return standpoint to, to be the returner of the year, or whatever they're gonna, whatever they call that. Yeah. You know, sometimes, especially with the defensive awards, you're gonna being on a defense that gives up a lot of yards. In general, a defense that isn't considered a good defense overall will sometimes hurt individual players. It's sometimes a little bit harder to stand out, I think, because people look and say, well, that def- how good could he be? That defense gave up a lot of yards and points. So you usually, in those instances, you would need to be someone like a, a I'm thinking guys who are basically pros now that just are still in college, like a, like a late right. career Kerrigan, a late career K1 short, those guys who could just go out there and, and just eat people alive. And I don't know if Purdue really had anybody quite like um, that this year, but, but, but you see – um, I think th- where th- if those guys who are kind of close to that can come back, what this defense could be a year from now. Yeah, you get if you can get if you bring everybody back. Um, and I, you know, to me, the big question there's two. There's one big question and one smaller question. Uh, the big question is the the health of Lorenzo Neal. Yeah, uh, he's a guy that went out of the game Saturday uh, against IU, second or third series, really early. Uh, didn't return. You know, Jeff Brom. Uh, in the way Jeff Brom explains injuries after a game. Painted, Probably didn't look good, I think is what he <laughs> <yeah>. said. <laughs> painted a, a doom and gloom picture uh, there. Uh, it is lower body. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think we need to speculate much further than that. But, they mentioned MRI. You can yeah. kind of use context clues to figure out. But 
you know, here we are in, you know, December, coming up on December, and if, if, if what he injured requires some surgery, then you're looking at a, you know, a nine-month um, yeah. turnaround till the next game, and that's, that you know, that, that would be no spring practice. That would be uh, limited off-season yeah. work. Um, and everybody's different. Obviously, Elijah Sindelar played through a, a knee injury, um, but there's been other guys that just, for whatever reason, don't don't come back as quick. So, to me, that's a kind of a major question when you look at next year. But also, you know, Marcus Bailey probably should put his name into the NFL draft or whatever that process is, and just kind of see what yeah. the feedback is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would expect him to be back, but. Um, who knows? I look at him the way I look at some of the guys in basketball these last few years. When when Vincent Edwards was putting his name in the draft after like his sophomore and junior year, uh, or when Carson Edwards did it last year, like okay, yeah, you're you're definitely going to be a professional basketball player someday. Some NBA team would, at at the very least will put you on a roster at some point, and that's where Vince is right now, kind of bouncing back and forth. But are you ready to be an NBA draft pick, right. like capital D, capital P? I don't know, and I kind of feel the same way about Marcus Bailey, partially because I don't know if on this defense he got to really be showcased in in the way that would have. I think teams kind of knew he was the guy to run away from to kind of take out. I think that probably didn't help his cause as far as putting the things on film he probably wanted. To. But bringing it back to the the original thought is that if you if these guys come back then they they've got a chance to maybe elevate themselves from maybe honorable mention selection, yep. Big 10 or a third team selection to maybe second team or potentially uh first team when you look at what they have coming back and what they have coming in from the the 2019 recruiting class. But this you know this a lot of these awards are I mean, especially defensive. Defensively, a lot of these awards are 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 based on how your team did. Exactly. So, so yeah. I, I would yeah. expect, even though Michigan quote gave up sixty two points to Ohio State, you're going to see a lot of Michigan guys on first and second team defense because when you take the whole year into consideration, that was one kick butt defense. Right. Right. <laughs> and then you know, there's there's guys from Iowa and there's guys from. From from Wisconsin, uh, that that had good years, uh, you know, in Iowa, you know, up and down a little bit defensively, but um, you know, you, you're you're competing against guys like that, so it, it's semi team award and um, semi individual performance as well. Yeah. We got to wrap things up uh, football wise because I got a plane to catch here in a little bit, and I got to go over and do some Purdue interviews before that. So we wanted to talk about basketball um for a couple minutes um they obviously had kind of a light week last week only one game they beat robert morris by i can't remember what it was now 40 points um and they covered the spread they did it was sort of a transitional week between having the the, you know the three games in four days at um the charleston classic i I thought it was kind of a big week for them to sort of process that let the young guys get into full practices after getting some real critiques about how those games went, probably especially from a defensive perspective. And then now you're coming up on, I don't believe this stretch defines their season, but it really does help define what this team is right now, how good this team really is right now. Um, They go at Florida State uh, tomorrow night. They go at Michigan this weekend. Um, so that's the number 15 team in the country, the number seven, I think, team in the country by the AP poll. You get to go home against Maryland next week, um, not, a, not a slouch by any means. Another team that's top 20. I can't remember if they're in the top 25 right now, but they're 
top 25 caliber at the very least. Um, and then uh, at Texas, another top 25 team, another road game uh, that, that following weekend. And then, um, and then the week after that, the Crossroads Classic against Notre Dame, which is a team that I really don't know what, yet what to make of them, but we all know no, Purdue's history in the Crossroads Classic, and I don't think you can take anything for granted, whoever they're playing there. So this is a really important stretch of the year. I see this as, you know, last year we knew how mature and um, poised that team was. And even though they had that hiccup in it, the Battle for Atlantis, you saw then over the next 19 games in a row that they won that poise and maturity come through. This is where this team kind of has to prove its poise and maturity, I think, is sort of to use the cliche, only worrying about one game at a time and and kind of accepting each of these challenges as they come and and finding a way to persevere through this. Um, and I don't know what success in this stretch means. It may only mean winning two games. You could play really well in all five of these games and still only win two of them. Or, or, I suppose, none of them, because this is a really tough stretch of the season. To me, I think um, you look at the Virginia Tech game, okay, what? Because these are going to be similar games to, to Virginia Tech. They're I think just, Florida State could be very similar. Yeah. Right, because – but you're playing – now you're playing on home courts instead of right. neutral courts. And how do you how do you handle that uh, environment when, when teams are making runs? Especially, you know, uh, when you get past Carson Edwards and – you know, maybe a couple other players. This this is a first time experience in right. playing heavy minutes on the road, especially at a Big Ten venue or at a Florida State or at a Texas that you just haven't experienced before. And it's one thing to be in the game last year when you go on the road in the Big Ten if you're No Joe Eastern and some of these other guys, but now you're being asked to play twenty twenty five minutes. You're asked to carry the load, and you know. These other guys that you had last year that you were spelling aren't coming off the bench to help you. Right. So you, there's a lot of things I think they have to battle through in this stretch, and I, I don't think you can get. I don't think you can determine ahead of time to say, well, you know, three wins would be a success or two wins would be a success. I think you get to the end of it and say, how did they play in these games? How did right. they? How did they handle the road environment? How did they? Um, you know, how did they do offensively? Were they able to? To put up points, you know the Virginia Tech game they got in the eighties. You know, to me that would be uh, a positive sign that if they can continue to get in the into the the mid seventies to the eighties, um, you know, I think then you you feel like you got a pretty good offensive team on your hand. But knowing Painter, okay, what are you doing at the defensive end? What do you you know? How are you shutting team right. down? Are and are they are they going to be able to rebound um, and limit those second chance opportunities? Uh, so, I mean, there's, uh, it's really hard to say, to judge, to put a number on it right now or put a qualifier on this stretch. I think you get to the end, you get after the Notre Dame game, and then you go back and look and say, okay, where, where's this team at? I, I think the main thing you want to see, number one, is just whatever areas caused them problems against Virginia Tech, did they, did they clean those up? That would be the number one thing, I guess, with Wednesday's game uh, with, with Florida State. If they cleaned up those areas – then you're probably seeing a team that's that's going just to gradually get better. But if they if they do fall back into uh, some of those same mistakes again, not that they're going to be a bad team, but it may take a li- just a little bit longer. And the thing that jumps out at me about that Virginia Tech game that I think they have to prove again, it kind of goes back to poise. I thought there were stretches in that second half where Virginia Tech started to build its momentum. It was turning Purdue over. It was scoring in transition. It was catching them leaning on. Uh, 
on offense with the way they are moving the ball and Purdue um, just having some breakdowns in, in the man-to-man defense down there. And then when Purdue was having possessions on offense, it was taking quick shots. It wasn't working the offense. It wasn't getting optimum shots. Even sometimes when they would get offensive rebounds, the shot was going right back up, not in like a put back under the basket kind of way, like in a very quick jump shot kind of way. And they didn't have that calming influence that they needed. I know it's one of these old painterisms, but I think it's a, it is a basic truth of basketball that when you're playing good offense and you can, you can get a, you know, run your offense and get a basket, it helps you then go back and set up your defense. And sometimes just, if they had just done that one or two more times during that Virginia tech game, it maybe flips the outcome. So that's what they kind of have to find, I think. And it's going to be tougher because that Virginia tech game, Right after the game, those players came in and said, "Man, this felt like a road game to us because this place is full of Purdue fans. They're loud. They're they're and you know it's not like playing a Mac Arena, but it definitely was not a really a neutral court feel that night. Yes, both teams were somewhat, but by then it was their third game in four days. They were used to the court equally, I guess, at that point. So really, just in terms of like the the atmosphere, it was more like a road atmosphere. Probably that's not going to be the case." Uh, or at least a pro I should say it was more like a pro Purdue atmosphere it's not going to be the case Wednesday night this is a team that has won I think 27 consecutive non-conference home games they've won they're like 33 and two at home over the last two plus years including this year and this is an ACC team they're playing that that includes all their home games against North Carolina and Duke and Virginia and the other teams that you think are the very best teams in college basketball right now um so I think Wednesday night is one of those games and this is through this whole stretch I think this it's going to test this team's maturity because how do you persevere when you play really really well and still lose to a really good team in a tough environment um you know know, for instance you know they got the road game Wednesday night, and then they have to turn right around and go to Ann Arbor and play Michigan, which is always it's just one of those nemesis games for Purdue here in recent years. Michigan plays at home. I mean, they play North Carolina. It's a really tough team. Michigan plays at home, I think, also Wednesday night, and then gets to play at home on Saturday. I mean, that's, that's just a very different circumstance. It's one of those things you have to deal with to play major college basketball, but it's it's – obviously something that is very much in Michigan's favor. So how, what does Purdue do? How does Purdue sort of overcome that or can it overcome that? Even if you play really well, it might not be enough. So it's one of those weird things where like they have to take it one game at a time, but it's also about how I think this team just sort of sustains this big glut that's coming up because then, you know, they get kind of a, you know, then they have a home game against Ohio, which is just kind of a team, but then they play uh, Belmont, which is, really off to a really strong start this year and then there's just another run of top 25 big 10 teams as they get started there Iowa and um at Wisconsin at Michigan State it's just it's a tough road here for about the next 10 games for Purdue and um it's it's gonna we're gonna find out a lot about this team I think um over these next month or so well this stretch has to help them in the big time I mean would you I think deep, so deeper yeah. into the big time it has to it has to when you come out of this stretch and then you get those after Christmas games, and then you jump right into the Big Ten again. They have to be, they have to be ready to tackle that league at that point. I don't. I think the learning curve probably needs to be over at that point. Whatever right. areas they're they're being haunted by, need to get. Um, they need to be better at. Not going to be perfect at them, but they need to be better at. And and there there there'll be games in the Big Ten deeper into January and February where they they might lay an egg. It just that's that's yeah. just part of it, but. Overall, I think they, they the stretch has to the stretch has to help them, and it, it's odd to say they could be zero and whatever, and the stretch could help them, but they could be five and zero, and the stretch might not help them. Okay. If that, <laughs> that that may not make sense to people, because <laughs> well, 
One thing I would say that's maybe a positive through these first six games, and they haven't been tested again in a in a situation like going to Florida State or Michigan yet. But I don't know if there's anything that's haunting them right now. In fact, I think some of the things that you worried about coming into the season in terms of how would they handle the ball, would, would turnovers be a real issue? Not really. They've had either somewhere between 10 and 13 in every game. Not awful, not great, somewhere in the middle. It kind of depends on when they happen and when they happen against Virginia Tech at Costum. Um, depth has been maybe a little bit better than we thought. Um, just just little things like that. I think they, they're, they're, they're – and the rebounding has obviously been a real positive. So it's not that they have necessarily had anything that seems like a real specter that's looming over them right now. But, again, there, there's just a whole new level of test that comes from going on the road, especially in the road environments that they're about to see that I think is going gonna, is gonna to challenge them in new ways. It might expose some things, but that, again, could be – good for this team in the long run to be exposed in some new ways and, and give them something to get better for when the, the Big Ten restarts in earnest when January comes around. And I didn't mean to say if they won every game, it won't help, it won't help them. No, certainly. But, it would be, well, if you, it would it be depends. a huge help just in terms of their seeding and everything right. later well, on. Well, I just think sometimes when you win games, if you go if you just go in and win, you, f- you forget. Right. You know, some things maybe get lost in the, uh, in the translation. Where you don't you don't have to lose every game to learn it, everything, but you don't have to win every game to to learn everything. It, obviously, if they went five and zero, oh, <laughs> it would be a tremendous right. accomplishment for them. But it's also how you, did you get to the five and zero? Oh. But if you go zero oh and five, it doesn't mean everything's over. I mean, to use the football team for an example, they were zero oh and three to start the year, and everyone's wondering if they would win a game, <laughs> if they would uh, do what do anything of note in the season, but they recovered and got to to a bowl game. So there were things that they they really learned. I felt they really learned in those first three games that that they were able to apply lessons to throughout the year. And I've said it all year. I don't if they're not zero and three. I don't think they end up where they end up. And um, and there's a re- you know there's a reason why that happened. And it's going to be a reason why this stretch is going to to not define the season, but. It, you know, it's, it, it has to help them once they get into the meat of the Big Ten schedule. Well, this football season was a probably a good reminder that while we treat every week like a referendum on the team, um, you look at the, the range of, of expected outcomes that we saw from Purdue football over the course of this season that really just ended us up at 6-6, six and six, which is where they probably should have been all along. Right. And in, in basketball, it's even less so. You can't – you know, they could go down to Florida State. I don't think they're going to get blown out by 40 like they did the last time they tried to go to Florida State and play a Big Ten ACC challenge game. But if they go to Florida State and lose Wednesday night, it, it's not a, a, a long-term – Sign. It, it's what happens in the next game. How do you recover? How do you build? Et cetera, et cetera. I've so. always said, bas- you know, football usually is a one-week referendum, but basketball is more of a stretch referendum. Where yes. You, where you look at a collection of games, or a, a stretch in this case, to see what what this team might be. Uh, and the other thing with football is you have six days to <laughs> right to dissect what happened and look ahead. Where basketball. You know, this in this week, for example, you you play on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, then you're back at it, back at it Saturday. And yeah. So yeah, this stretch, I to me, this stretch is it would be one referendum on on this season. And uh, yeah, and I feel the same way. I think the first six games, it's really twenty percent of your season, your regular season. That was one thing. I think they kind of passed that. They came out in in pretty good shape with five and one, a, a good quote unquote loss, even though they felt like they let one get away. And then yeah, this next chunk is the next stretch and then you have really kind of the 
you, you can either put those other two non-conference games in with that or then the start of the Big Ten season, however you look at it. But yeah, I, I look at it the same way, kind of just in chunks. And this is the next one that you're going to, you know, you let this next few weeks play out and then you kind of step back and say, where's this team now? So, um, well, anyway, like I said, I've got to uh, do some interviews and head to Tallahassee, be there late tonight. Um, so follow me there at, at JC online. Follow me on Twitter at InBearJC. He's at Carmen underscore JC. Follow him for the news that's coming out that we know about that's coming out tonight about Big Ten Awards. Follow him about well, whatever's going to happen with Jeff Brom and whatever happens um, also around the program. I assume we're going to probably start hearing about who's coming back and who's not. Does that start happening? But regardless of what happens to Jeff Brom, when you start hearing about players who want to transfer or leave the program, will that start trickling out here soon? Is that more after the bowl game? That'll be after the bowl game. I mean – it, obviously, if Jeff's not the coach, you probably see more of it. Right. If, if Jeff and the staff stay intact, or there's minimal changes uh, on the coaching staff, then there's there's usually a change or two for whatever reason. Then, um, then you know, then then players kind of you know take stock of where they're at, what their role may be, and there may be guys that they recruited in the 2018 class that. That uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe mutual be, mutual <laughs> decision to maybe part be better ways. off ty- ty- type yes. of thing elsewhere or things like that. It just happens in every program. It does. It happens all the time. Every program, not just football, basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, whatever. And also, you know, next week we'll we'll know produce bowl destination uh, on Sunday and be able to to really um, delve into that and the matchup they're gonna they're gonna face just. You know, as of as of right now, it looks like New York and Detroit are the are the two strongest possibilities. But I would just throw this out there: it's like don't don't sleep on Nashville right now. Don't don't discount uh, you know a possible appearance uh, in the Music City Bowl because uh, that's um, for for a lot of different reasons. That one's not that one's still in play. Not at not at the higher percentage of the other two, but it's still in play. I know some uh, some good dining places in Nashville. Head to the Pancake Pantry if it comes to that. That's a good breakfast place, and um, we'll see if that comes to fruition. We'll probably have some specific discussion about that uh, this time next week. So join us then on Boilers Extra.